Well, sadly, you've got a double helping of me today. Usually you have a different host and a different speaker, but you've got me for hosting and speaking today. I apologize already. And I've not been overly well this week, so bear with me if I have to drink more water than usual because my throat still isn't great. But um, my first slide will come up in a moment because I'm quite impressed with this. I don't know how many Fs I can get on a, a slide in one go because today we're going to look at a, a story that might be well known to you. The story is one that if you went to Sunday school or kids work in some way or sometimes they teach it in school, you might know the gist of this story. It's a story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they, oh, before I say that, before I move on to that, I once preached on this, different, different preach, but I once preached on the topic and I went to say Abednego and out came, to bed we go and I, was, I stood there and I was like, I didn't mean to say to bed we go, I meant Abednego and I was embarrassed to say the least. So every time I look at this story, I laugh, and I think, please don't say to bed we go, please don't say to bed we go, because that's not his name, it's Abednego. Um, so basically, this story is one you might know of, and it's one, as we said, it's taught. If you don't know it, don't worry, today we're going to do something different. We're going to be going through this story, and today we've called the talk, Faith in the Face of the Fiery Furnace, and it's kind of like, subheading is, a life of faith in a faithful God. So faith in the face of a fiery furnace, a life of faith in a faithful God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about this story, the first thing that springs to mind is this really hot fire. But I want to journey with you from the beginning of the story to virtually the end of the story. And often in church, when we preach on things, we might pick a topic or a, or a passage. But today, I really felt that we need to go through the whole story, that journey through it, as if maybe you did it at home, maybe if you're reading your Bible at home, you might start at the beginning of the story, go through it, pick up a theme maybe, or stop along the way, and that's essentially how I'm going to preach today, is we're going to start at the beginning of Daniel 3, and work our way through virtually to the end. All of us put our faith in something, don't we? All of us do. You're, you're sitting on a chair right now. You're putting your faith in that chair that it doesn't collapse underneath you. We all put our faith in something. So I didn't want to preach on putting your faith in something. What do you put your faith in? I wanted to look at what does a life of faith in the one true living God really look like? Because I think that's a, for me, for our lives, if you're a Christian here today or if you're not a Christian here today, don't worry. There's some great bits to grab onto because um, it applies to all of us. If we're a Christian today, we want to live a life of faith, and we want to know what that looks like. And I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I might call them smart along the way, which is how my dad calls, my dad calls me, because I'm dyslexic and I'm called Sam, so he makes the letters go around and calls me smart. But I might call them smart along the way, and, I might, and so just for quickness, but we're going to look how their life showed what a life of faith in God really looks like. A life of faith in a faithful God. So just so you know the context of the story... I quickly skim over Daniel 1, Daniel 2. Basically, the Israelites are in Jerusalem, or Judah's in Jerusalem, and it's taken by this king. And Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are chosen from this Israelite thing. They're taken back, and they're chosen to go into training. Now, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, don't get a bit confused on that. They're the same people, those three people. And when they get there, they go into training, and Daniel takes a stand, first of all, and he refuses to eat the king's food. And that's where some people call it the Daniel fast. 
Um, but we, as we recently did our series on fasting, we talked about what fasting really looks like. Um, so if you, if you enjoyed that series, please, I hope you are carrying on with your fasting. So Daniel refuses to eat the king's food. And actually, he gets stronger and he finds favor with the king. And he is, uh, all four of them are appointed into the king's service. Okay? So that's a very quick overview of Daniel 1. Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has dreams and no one can interpret them. He calls in always wise men and he's like, come on, can you tell me what this means? And none of them can do it. In fact, they say no one in the whole land can do this. And Nebuchadnezzar has this moment where he goes, right, I'm going to kill all the wise men. Anyone who's wise in my kingdom, all the people I trust, you're all going to die. I'm going to kill you all. But, but Daniel and Smar, they all prayed. They prayed and they sought God and Daniel gets an interpretation of the dream. He is brought in front of the king and he tells King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream. And then what, what Nebuchadnezzar does then, he goes, ah, oh, great, I get it. He goes, your God is the God of all gods. And he appoints Daniel into a high position. And that's where we start chapter 3, where Daniel's there. So I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 3. As I said, I'm going to journey through it, picking up points along the way. So we're going to start in Daniel 3, verse 4. If you haven't got your Bible, don't worry, it will come up on the screen. should be big enough to see. If not, I apologize. So it says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, that is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zyre, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all the kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a, fire, into a blazing furnace. So what's happened is Dan... In Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar goes, your God must be the God of all gods. Something goes wrong, and he's like, let's create a golden image. Let's make this huge statue. And he says, says, every time you hear this music, you've got to bow down and worship. And what happens is, Smar says, no. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to bow down. And I think this is where we find our first point of what a life of faith in God really is. It's one where you only worship the one true living God. You have no other idols. So they're commanded to bow down, and they say no. And you might be thinking, what's the big deal with that? Why didn't they just bow down? It doesn't mean anything, bowing down to this gold statue. What does that really matter? They've been told they're going to die. Is it really worth the risk? Just bow down in front of this gold statue. But they knew what God has spoken to them about. If you jump way back when Moses gets the Ten Commandments in, in the history of Israel, the first, com- the first commandment is have no other gods but me. And I wonder in this moment whether they get told to bow down to this gold statue and they go, wait a minute, we've, had, we've been here before. In fact, when Moses gets the, uh, the tablets of the t- uh, the Ten Commandments, he goes down and he, the people of Israel have made a golden calf. And it's this big golden statue and they're bowing down and worshiping to it. And not, so not only has he got, there's no other God but me, the three of them go, Israel, we've been here before, we bow down to this golden calf and look what happened to us. Look what happened to us. 
God was furious with us. We did it wrong because he's told us to have no other God but him. And I wonder whether that raced through their mind and they were like, no. No, we've learned from that. We do not bow down. We have no other God. No other God. I will not make an idol. I will not have an idol in my life. See, God only wants us to worship him. It's not because he's like super like arrogant. It's like, come worship me, I am so good. Like, do you not see how I've made the universe? You don't see how it, he doesn't do it like that. That's not the character of God. He is loving and kind, but he is worthy. So a life of faith in God is one where you worship God alone. Now, you might think, I don't really have any gold idols in my life right now. I'm not one to bow down to a gold statue. But I want to tell you about something that was potentially an idol in my life. A lot of the teenagers have gone upstairs, but some of you might still play it. Who likes FIFA? Who has ever played FIFA? I love FIFA. <laughs> Gareth is like, yes. <laughs> He's still on it. Gareth is probably more football manager as well. But uh, it is. For me, FIFA became an idol in my life. I would, I would set aside so much time to play it. It got to a weekend where it was like champs to play champs, and I used to go, right, let's spend the day playing, playing FIFA. That's all I used to do. That's what I wanted to play, and it became my priority in life. Now, that's not to say FIFA is a bad game. It's actually quite fun. But it became my priority. And for me, that became an idol. And so when I look at the area of worshipping and bowing down to one God and only having him as my one true living God, FIFA broadened my horizons, broadened my mindset on what could become an idol in my life. So I don't know about you, but if you know this story at all, the... uh, the, the gold statue that they, that they made was super tall. Okay? They, call, they do it in cubits, but roughly it was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. So it wasn't particularly wide, but it was really tall. And what it was made of was they asked for all the gold to come, and they made this gold, and so it would be super shiny. And if you saw it, you might be quite impressed with it. Go, whoa, look at this tall statue made of gold. It's really cool. It's really shiny. And uh, you might think, oh, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Same as when I got my new FIFA box came out. Oh, it looks pretty good. When I start playing my game, oh, it's pretty good. It looks pretty good. But I wonder if you zoomed out from that statue and you approach it and you think, actually, what is a really tall, thin thing? Why am I really worshipping that? In fact, a guy called Ronald Wallace, he writes a, whole, he writes a lot of commentaries and he's written one on, uh, on Daniel, says this. It must have looked slightly grotesque, with 90 feet of height and only 9 feet wide. Certainly it was a great cost, as it was solid gold, and it must have made a startling, a startling impression, but it must have been grotesque. And I want to put to you today, a life of faith in God is worshipping God alone, having no other gods but him. But maybe we need to take a moment and see... What under the surface, if we zoomed out of things, is an idol in our life? What things might be actually grotesque, but we just don't realize it? For me, it was FIFA. In fact, I didn't even buy the new one this year because I didn't want to put myself in temptation. Thanks, Lou. (laughs) But for you, it might be something else. Maybe it's a TV program that isn't bad, but it's just taking all your time. 
Maybe it's food. There's loads of things it could be for us. It's so easy because we're made to worship the King of Kings. If we're not worshiping the King of Kings and he isn't our number one, our natural position is to worship something else. So let's just take, take in your own life, just take a check and see what could be an idol in my life. And if it is, if there's something there, I urge you just to get rid of it. Just say, no, I'm not going to make it my idol anymore. My, I'm going to devote my worship to the King of Kings, to God. I will have no other God but him. So a, a, a life of faith in God, number one, is a life of worship to God alone. Number two, we're going to jump a few, uh, a few, a few verses. We're going to pick the story up again in verse 13. And so the king now has found out that Smarv refused to bow down. Hey, these, uh, these little snitches come along, right? And they say, did you know that the Israelites aren't bowing down to you, these Smarv guys? And the king is furious. He's so angry. He's like, I've made this statue for people to bow down. I've made a decree that everyone has. How dare they test my authority and, and not bow down to me? And it says this in 13. So we'll read 13. And a couple other verses. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shavrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? And jump into 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your, uh, from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I don't know about you, but a life, I think we learn here that a life of faith in God is one of boldness. If I'm not bowing down, to, if I was bowing down to an idol, it's probably quite easy for me, let's go back to my FIFA example, for example, to get rid of that. No one's going to know. I can just throw it away. No one's really challenged me on it or anything like that. But what happens here is smart is brought before the king has all power in the land. There must have been fear. <laughs> I don't know. Has anyone, who was, uh, all of us, most of us probably went to school. Let's see how honest you are. Who got pulled in front of the head teacher at any point? Lou is like, yep, there's a few of us get put, the fear. Do you know when they come in and say, Sam, the head teacher wants to see you in his office, or your old boss, I don't know if you've got a boss at work, and they say, Sam, Graham wants to see you in his office. And you go, oh no, Graham's the senior leader of the church. Um, you think, oh no, I'm scared, what have I done wrong? There's a moment of fear, isn't there? It's like, what have I done? What have I done? And in this case, they knew what they'd done. They were like, oh no, oh no, what is he going to do to us? And they're, they're pulled before the, ki- before the king. And it's like, well, we've got a decision here. Do we, just go back and, do we just go back and worship and say, yeah, we're going to bow down to that gold image? Or are we going to be bold and say, no, I don't need to defend myself against you because I only answer to the one true living God. And obviously, as we read already, they make the decision to say, no, no, I will not have another God. I will not bow down. I only worship God alone. This is a real moment of boldness for them. And I want to put to you that the decisions in the, in the private and in the, in the personal 
enabled them to be strong and bold in the, in the wider, scarier forum of standing before the king. And I look at my own life and go, my disciplines of reading my Bible, speaking to God, building my relationship with him, that in my personal life enables me to be stronger and bolder, and I don't always get it right, stronger and bolder in the public, in the forum, of, in the, maybe in town, or maybe something challenged me or something, because your personal affects your public. And we want to be a church where our personal is deepening our relationship with God. So when we're challenged in the wider, more scary forum, the public, we are so rooted in him that we know exactly what he wants us. And read to us about the promises of God when we're struggling. Turn to the promises of God. It's those sort of things in the private, in the personal. Study, read, know the promises of God. So when you're challenged and it's scary, you can go, I know the promises of God. I know them, and I'm going to stand on them because they are true, because my God is always true. He never fails. What a lesson for us. What they did in the personal enabled them to stand strong in the public. And I believe God calls us into a life of bold faith. Maybe there's times where we're intimidated by others. And I'm going to say something I don't think is controversial, but if you disagree with me, please come and talk to me afterwards. But we've got this whole uh, park hotel thing going on down the road. And I've got a love for refugees. I've got a love for people from other countries. God, I believe God tells us to love and welcome people in like that. But sometimes when you look on Facebook or you have conversations, the comments that come back are easily intimidating, to say the least. And in that moment, I've got a decision. Do I go along with that? Or has God called me into a, a, a place where I'm bold for him and say, no, I disagree with that. They are loved, they're accepted, they should be welcomed. And what is great about that is I don't stand there doing it in my own power because in Timothy, to Timothy, it says he gives us not a spirit of fear, but one of boldness. And I stand there with the Holy Spirit and he's like, I'm with you, you can be bold in my name. You can be bold in my name. It's okay because I'm with you. It doesn't mean you're not going to face persecution or trial, which we're going to find out in a minute. But you can be bold because I'm with you. You can be bold because I'm with you. And maybe you think differently when it's Park Hotel, but that's just an example because God is calling you to be bold in your faith for him. That means don't deny him. Don't deny him. I know I get this wrong sometimes where... I could easily speak into a conversation and I don't. Or in the past especially. God is not calling me to be timid or scared. He's calling me to speak boldly. A life of faith as we see through Smar is one of boldness. In the face of a furious king, they said, no, I don't have to answer you because I answer God alone. I will not bow down. Let's pick this story up because we want to get through the whole of the story. And so uh, the next chapter, verse 17, we see this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I think what we see here is a life of faith in God is one of total trust. What a verse, what a verse. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. He will deliver us from your, from your majesty's hand. What trust, 
What trust? And if you know the rest of the story, you might be thinking, this is really confusing because actually they got thrown in the, in the furnace. So what does this really mean? Have they got it just really confused? They got blind faith where they just say, yeah, he's able to deliver us, he will deliver us, and actually he gets, they get thrown in it. But that's not what they're talking about here in this verse. They're saying we trust God entirely. A life of faith is one where we say, God, I trust you of every part of me. Even if I go through the fire, through the trial, through the hardest times, I know that you never leave nor forsake me. That's what a life of faith in God is. And I think what we see here is that trust is deepened in relationship. We touched on it already. The NIV, if you read him for any NIV, says the God. But if you look at the original, it's our God. There's a far more personal touch to the words that they're using here. Our God. And as we said in Daniel 2, when there was this moment where everyone was going to be killed, all the wise men were going to be killed, we saw Daniel and Smar worship and pray. They had a relationship with God. They pleaded with God and they revealed the things to Daniel. And I want to say that trust is built in relationship. It's not that he changes in our, in we, when we have a deeper relationship with him. It's us that changes. We go again and again and we say, yep, I know you're good. And he changes us slowly and slowly when we come to a place of trust. And also, when we look at these three guys, they knew their history. I honestly believe they knew their Jewish history. They've seen God do miraculous things through the nation of Israel. They've seen Abraham and Sarah have kids when they're ridiculously old. Uh, one of the kids in kids' work the other day said, but they had up and said, how did Sarah have, have, um, how did Sarah have, a, have a boy when she was past the menopause? And it's just questions like that are just brilliant. I think they're so good. Maybe we need to have that fresh look at the Bible and go, how did Sarah have a baby when she was past the menopause? Well, it's the power of God. And his promises are true. They've seen the exodus. They've seen the Red Sea split. They would have heard the story and repeated at Passover again and again. They've heard the story of the walls of Jericho come falling down. I'm reading that again at the moment. It's such a great story. They come falling down. They know the power of God and they know they can trust him. And knowing the past and having a relationship, they come to a point and they go, God, you will deliver us. And we'll look at what that deliverance is in a minute. All that stuff leads to an attitude of, I will trust you at all times. A life of faith in God isn't one where we trust him just when life is good. It's one where in the face of a fiery furnace, we say, I still trust you. I still trust you. But, as we've already said, it doesn't inhumanly you think it doesn't go too well they say I don't have to answer to you and then the king gets super angry again it's like heat the fire to seven times hotter it's like make it as hot as you can and it's really cool if you read the story I say it's cool but people die the, uh, the people like, who stoke the fire getting hot it's so hot that as they approach it they die that's how hot this fire is they're not even in the fire they approach it and it's so hot they die so I'll read verse 19. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And we look at that and we think, 
was their faith mistrust, misplaced? Because they ended up in the fire anyway. But I want to put to you, uh, there's people in this room who are going through really hard things at the moment. That doesn't mean God's faithfulness has changed at all to you. I'm going to tell you a quick story about my life. It happened before we moved to to Norfolk. Um, Probably coming up to almost 10 years ago, uh, I was a teacher in in a school, and I was struck by a for like months and months, probably went for about a year and I was off work for six months, with a serious bout of depression. I couldn't get out of bed. I used to, before I, before I sought help, I used to go to school and teach and nearly every lunchtime, nearly every playtime, play I used to go to the toilets and cry and I hated myself and I, I, I was, found it so difficult, so difficult during that time. But I look back at it and even in that moment, I used to cry out to God and go, God, why am I in this moment? Why am I like this? Why can't I even think one nice thing about myself? And what happened in that moment, I knew that my God was faithful. I knew he hadn't left me. I knew he hadn't forsaken me. Even though I didn't necessarily feel it in that moment, I knew he was there with me because he'd promised it. And I think when we look at this, we need to be aware that life as a Christian is going to be full of hard times and difficult times. If you're here today and you became a Christian and no one told you that, I'm sorry, because that's just not true. Like, you're not going to become a Christian and live the world's easiest life. In fact, sometimes I think it's much harder because people are out to persecute you and get you. But it's worth it because he is worth it. And I think we see that in this story. They are faithful to God but yet they're still thrown in the fire. They're tied up and thrown in. And in fact, if we look at this idea of trial and perseverance, it's such a biblical theme. I'm just going to pick out a couple of things. We're not going to dive into them at all. But when we look at the, some of you might know the story of uh, the Psalm 23, and it talks about, we always nicely quote like green pastures and things like that. But it says, you'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't go, we're going to go round the valley. It doesn't say we're going to go, I feel like I'm doing, we're going on a bear hunt. We don't feel like we're not going over, over the valley. It says we're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of the valley of the shadow of death. It sounds a bit scary, but what he says, he leads us and comforts us and guides us through it. So a life of, as a Christian, you will go through hard times. In the same book of Daniel, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. He doesn't avoid the lion's den. Can you see the biblical principle coming up again and again? The life of Job, if you've ever read the book of Job, he goes through it and through it and through it. And he's such a hard place. Many of the disciples and the apostles were thrown in prison and killed and things like that. They went through hard times. And Jesus himself endured the cross. Life as a Christian will have difficult times. But church, we need to be aware that suffering is part of a Christian's life. But we also need to know, no matter our suffering, whether it's big or small, in no way does it diminish the faithfulness of God. In no way. Let's move on. We're going to see how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith Life of faith was in a faithful God. So as we said, they're in the fire, and we get to this moment. So we kind of could go earthly, this isn't going too well. And then we pick this up in verse 24. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that, that, were tied, that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unarmed, unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of God's. Isn't that amazing? There's three men get tied up in it like this, and they get thrown into the fire. And what happens is, King Nebuchadnezzar looks up and goes, wait, wait, wait. They, I only definitely told you to throw three men in there. Why is there four men walking around? And why are they walking around? Because they were tied up. And what are they doing? This is all really confusing. And we see it, and we sang it say, he is the fourth man in the fire. Because he is with us. He promises us that we will never be alone. See, a life of faith in a faithful God is that a faithful God never leaves nor forsakes us. So when we're going through that trial, he is with us. And that promise of never leaving us, us never being alone, is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says it's a promise forever. If we trust in him, we give our lives to him, we say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I repent. He promises he will never leave nor forsake us. We see it, as I've given some examples in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. It says that same verse, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the Great, Great Commission, it says, I'll be with you to the end of the earth. These promises come again and again and again. And if you're a Christian here today, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he guides you and he comforts you. In the middle of the fiery furnace... Whatever your trial is, you are never alone. We need to go through that trial knowing that it could be super difficult. And I'm not saying that suddenly everything's going to disappear and you're going to be, all illnesses are going to be healed and all things like that because the trial is difficult sometimes. Our life can be difficult sometimes. But we know we go through it knowing that he stands with us and goes with us. Just like I said in my depression story, I used to cry out to God, but I knew he was there. Even if I didn't feel it, I knew he was there because he is faithful. And I think we also see in this story that a faithful God is one that totally frees us. I don't know if you, you pick up on this. It's probably not, if you read it normally, you think it's not really that important that they were tied up and then they were untied, you'd be like... Oh, did this, the tires just burn away in the fire and they were just going to walk around? But I believe that the word of God is God breathed and I think there's a reason why it's in there. And I think it's this, is that when we have a faithful God frees us. A faithful God frees us. They, went bow, they were bound and tied as tight as they could. They said they got soldiers in who were the strongest ones and they tied them up. And if we look at the story of humanity, we were with God free. We rejected him at the fall and we were bound by sin. And this is a beautiful example of a God who frees us. Who when we trust in him, our bounds are taken away. They're smashed. They have no place in us anymore because we are totally free because of what Jesus did on the cross. And if you are not a Christian here today, I would love to talk to you about the amazing message of the cross. The one true way to God. The one true way to be forgiven. The one true way to be in relationship with God forever and ever and ever. And that's all through his son's death on a cross for you. He took everything you did wrong. And, he, and if we say sorry to him, we're totally forgiven. And the most beautiful thing about being free and the most beautiful thing, sorry, about the, the gospel message is that Jesus isn't dead now. 
He was raised from, the, from death. And then he came back to life. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father in authority. And if we trust in him, he lives in us and we are totally forgiven. We are totally free. And that's why I think this, this message is in here, these verses in here, that they were bound and then unbound. Because God wanted us to see that our faith of God frees us. Our idols can tie us up. But our faith of God gives us life. And it gives us life to the full, unbound and free. And finally, a faithful God is one where we are totally protected. Now, as I said, we have to look at this point quite, quite closely. I'm going to read verse 25 to 27. He said, look, I'm going to read it again. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound, unharmed, and a fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of a blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the, the satraps, uh, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. And there was no smell of fire on them. That's incredible, isn't it? I don't know if you... Have you ever even been to a bonfire or a barbecue? Don't you hate that smell when you come home? You have to jump straight in the shower because your hair just smells like burgers. And it's like the... the uh, I love burgers. But they smell... Like just, you can smell it everywhere. These guys were in the hottest fire that was killing people that came close. And they don't even smell. Let alone anything being burned. They don't even smell of the fire. They went through the fire and they were totally protected. And our protection is the greatest protection of all. Our protection, as I said, our life can get us with illnesses and hard times, but our protection is against the evil one. See, in this story, Nebuchadnezzar is like a representation of the evil one, the enemy, the devil. When you look at, as we said, we look at the fall, that basically the enemy wants us as humanity to bow down to him instead of God. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. He wanted them to bow down to the image of this gold statue instead of God. He's basically, the enemy is like, look, I am greater than your God. That's exactly what the statue is. That's why it's so high. It's like, I am greater than your God. And that's why they had to say no, because no one is greater than our God. And that's why when we die, if we have faith in God, we are totally protected. We have a promise of eternal life with the Father. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. In fact, this story appears again, you might not know it, but um, it's hinted at in Isaiah 43 verse 12. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isaiah knows this story. He writes it in reference to us being redeemed. And that's why I love this story. 
It's there's so many examples of how to live a life of faith and a faithful God and we get to the end of it and we go, wow, this is an example of our miraculous redemption in Jesus. That the enemy tries to get us to bow down and worship him and God says, no, no other gods but me and it's this God who redeems us that when we walk through the valley and we go through the fire, he says, you are totally protected because you are mine. And as I said, to be his, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, they simply trusted. They simply trusted. God is calling you today to live a life of faith in a faithful God. In the middle of your trial, your hard life, God is saying, be a person of faith in me because I will never let you down because I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that doesn't mean your life isn't difficult. In fact, I said the opposite. It can be really difficult. But in that time, we know that he is faithful and he is good. He never leaves us nor forsakes us.